you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Welcome to a brand new week of Tapeheads draft season. Bob Oshusen, longtime radio voice of the New York Jets and also a college football broadcaster for years and years and years and years at ESPN. <laughs> Too many years to count. Greg Cosell, for even longer than that, for <laughs> the better part of four decades, has been breaking down the film, the All-22 for NFL Films, not only breaking down NFL matchups every week, but also the college players to get you set for the draft. And we like to crawl behind the game, inside the X's and O's on tape heads, and bring you a different kind of podcast to get you set for the draft than maybe you'll hear elsewhere. This is not the, you know, the, the mock draft podcast. This is more of a wide-angle lens and I think a realistic look, more realistic look, at the way NFL teams actually prepare for the draft as opposed to the mock drafts you see all the time on TV. So, you know, Greg, we've done some wide receiver work. We have done a lot of quarterback work later this week. We're going to dive back into the quarterbacks in our episode that will drop on Thursday. Rich Gangarello, who is the uh, now current offensive coordinator at Kentucky, but a 20-year college and pro coach, most recently the quarterbacks coach for the San Francisco 49ers. He'll join us on Thursday, and we're going to break the quarterbacks down. But I, I think this week we are planning on jumping into the position that I think is the most interesting, debatable yeah, You know, at times polarizing position when it comes to not only evaluating guys once they're in the NFL and what you should pay them and how much of a commitment you should make to them, but where you should draft them coming out of college. And that's running back. Yeah. And like growing up, I mean, we, the running back was the glamour position. Earl Campbell and Walter Payton and Tony Dorsett. I mean, the entire offenses were just built around those guys. That's not the case anymore. Outside of Derrick Henry, I don't know that there's an offense in the NFL that is purely built around the running back. So how hard is it from a draft standpoint to properly value the running back when you see these stars in college and you want to project them to the NFL? Well, I don't think 
Bob, it's as much about the traits of backs. There's good backs every year, and there's good backs in this draft. I think it's really a 30,000-foot macro question. What kind of resources do you allocate to the position? That's number one. Number two becomes, how do you structure an offense in today's NFL? So that determines what the value of a back is to you. You know, obviously, look at a team like the San Francisco 49ers. They've been, they start with the run game as a foundation. Now they've shown, just Kyle Shanahan has shown, just as his dad, Mike Shanahan, showed that it wasn't specific to one back, but it was specific to a system. So they've had success with a lot of different running backs. This past year, they had success with Elijah Mitchell, who was a sixth-round pick out of Louisiana. So they didn't allocate a lot of resources to the position, but yet they were able to run the ball exceptionally well because they believe in the run game as a foundation. Which raises the next question, should the run game be a foundation in today's NFL when all coaches talk about is explosive plays? And percentage-wise, you're far more likely to get explosive plays in the pass game than in the run game. The next question is, every game, you pretty much have to run the ball at some point in the game. So if you can't do that, often you can lose games because of an inability to run the ball. And I don't want to put any blame on the Cincinnati Bengals coaching staff, but obviously in the Super Bowl, they continued to throw the ball with a lead in the third and fourth quarter, and there were six quarterback sacks in the second half of that game. And at some point, many might have thought that, hey, now is the time, let's run the ball. And they did not have a bad running game at all. But the running game is the kind of thing that people say you don't need until you need it. Yeah. And- You can't just snap your fingers. It's not a water faucet and say, okay, now we're going to run the ball. That's something that has to be practiced. I've had conversations with a lot of coaches who will actually say that teaching and coaching the run game with all the detail and nuance that is involved can sometimes be tougher than teaching the pass game. So unless you spend time in practice with the run game, then it doesn't just happen when you need it in given games. And, of course, this brings us then back to when do you draft running backs because there are good backs in this draft. There's so many branches to this tree, right? Like you mentioned the San Francisco 49ers. Yep, Um, sure. Like they took a big, powerful, borderline, tight end-sized wide receiver in Debo Samuel, and they're like, you know what? We'll give you the ball out of the backfield four, five, six times right. a game at times. We'll make you a pseudo running back and line you up all over the field. Cordero Patterson is another player that all of a sudden he's wearing, you know, a, a number that begins with eight and he's in the backfield. Sure. Sometimes just taking a standard out of the shotgun running back play. Um, also, I think a lot of teams now look at the screen game. Um, just, you know, even going five wide and having their running back as a part of an empty set, let's just throw him a little quick slant. That's almost a pseudo running game now. Correct. In the NFL, right? Just a high percentage pass to a running back, which means when you're evaluating all of these guys for any NFL offense, you have to wonder how well they can catch. Like Earl Campbell was never lining up in the slot. No. Christian Okoye was never running a slant, right? Like it's just it's just not what was done with running backs back in the day. So all of that, I would assume, has to be a part of the evaluation process. How much do we need a running back? 
How many guys on our team that don't you don't even necessarily think of as being a running back can act in that role? Does our offense ask a running back to possibly catch the ball six, seven, eight times a game? I mean, it, it, and obviously, if you're a fantasy football player, the running backs that catch the ball the most, you know, Christian McCaffrey, those are the guys that every fantasy football guy right, wants. Right. Because Christian McCaffrey catches it sometimes as much as he runs it. So when you're evaluating all of these college players, you know, how big of a pie, how many different slices are there now to the pie chart for an NFL evaluation for a running back as opposed to way back in the day where it was just can the guy run off tackle left or off tackle right and once in a while break one and go the distance? Yeah, and, and you make a great point. There's so many different elements, and there's not one correct answer. I, I know a lot of people now believe that the run game is not really that relevant, that it's it's the NFL is about the passing game. And I don't think anybody would argue that as a general statement, that you have to be able to throw the ball uh, in order to to play good offensive football week to week and to get to wherever it is you want to go. But we've also seen the San Francisco 49ers Two year, uh, three years ago, get to the Super Bowl uh, and lose in a, in a game they probably should have won. This year, get to the NFC Championship game um, and in a game they probably should have won as well. So there's many ways to play offensive football and there's many ways to create explosive plays in the pass game. But I will say this. I think that at some point in the NFL, a couple of points. Number one, you do have to run the ball. But number two, your pass game can't work solely off your run game. One thing I was fortunate enough to learn from Bill Walsh, because I was very fortunate and grateful to spend a good amount of time with him years ago, is that your running game and your passing game must, in any given game, be able to work independently from one another. If they're dependent on one another for their success, in other words, the only way your pass game can really be effective is working off run game principles, you're going to get to games where you need a drop-back pass game and you're going to struggle. Interesting. Yeah, you're right. I mean, being it, and also it allows you to be one dimensional when it's necessary and still win. Correct. And we always talk about, you know, if you can make a team one dimensional, that's the best way to beat them. That's a really interesting way to look at it. I think something else that really has to enter into the minds of evaluators, but also how they weigh the running backs and where they want to put them on the board is it's a very unique position in terms of lifespan in terms of how much money you have to pay one of these guys once he gets, if he's a first-round pick, and he gets to his fourth and fifth year, right? Like, no one ever could have imagined Saquon Barkley being anything other than a star, and now just because he has been on a bad team and he's been banged up, the second pick in the draft, there's a legit debate as to whether or not by the time he gets to year five, the Giants should pay him. Correct. And and how many more years past year five will he even have? I've actually said in the past, I think the NFL Players Association should be obviously the union that represents the players. I think there should be an NFL Running Backs Association. There should, <laughs> there should be a separate collective bargaining agreement for running backs where they should become free agents after year three, right? Because all these other positions, you could play six, seven, 10, 12, 15. I mean, Tom Brady might play 30 years in the NFL by the time he finally officially retires. These running backs, man, they get to their second contract and already teams are like, uh, you're right. I, I just don't know. Like, I don't know if we want to give this guy much of a financial commitment. You'll get the odd Zeke Elliott that really will break the bank. But a lot of these guys have a lot of tread off the tire by the time they get five and six years into the league, even if they're really good. So, you know, the fact that teams can find running backs in the third and fourth round, the fact that there's, you know, 
injury questions with these guys. They get hit in a way that other positions don't get hit. They're smaller and getting hit. I mean, all of those things, like how, how do NFL teams weigh all of that when they're yeah. thinking about where to draft one? Well, one quick point uh, is, and I think there'll be a litmus test team this year in the NFL that will really tell us a lot, and that's the Pittsburgh Steelers, who just signed Mitchell Trubisky as their quarterback. And we all know what kind of quarterback Mitchell Trubisky is. He needs a run game to be valuable and effective. And they have a back in Najee Harris, who's 230 pounds, looks like Adonis, carried the ball over 300 times as a rookie, um, struggled to average four yards a carry. You can You can debate why that's the case, but is Najee Harris in this particular offense with a quarterback that needs a run game and that you don't want to ask him to drop back 40, 45 times a game by choice, where will Najee Harris be in a year or two, no matter how big and strong and powerful he is, how many years can a back carry 300 plus times in today's NFL? Yeah, you're right. And, you know, when you think about the guys in this draft as well, how many guys fit that body type or how many of the guys that are in this current crop of running backs are guys that you might think of as what's become more the prototypical NFL running back? Because when we come back, we're going to talk players. We're going to talk who Greg has seen, what the tape says, who are the guys that Greg values a bit more in this draft than maybe you're seeing elsewhere. Find that out next when we come back. Tapeheads draft season. We are back on Tapehead's draft season. Bob Schusen, Greg Cosell, and we're going to get right now to where Greg Cosell eats, <laughs> and that is breaking down these players. So we're doing running backs. Greg, let's start to get to each guy kind of one by one. Give us a little thumbnail sketch, starting with Brees Hall of Iowa State. Yeah, and, and for people that know me, Bob, I'm not a big list guy uh, because I think so many players are different, and it's hard to do that. But I would say that Brees Hall, to me, if I had to make a list, would be my number one running back in this draft class. I think he's the total package. Um, I think because he's carried the ball a lot, he has extensive experience in both zone and gap scheme concepts. I think he's got a high-level combination of patience and decisiveness. He's very smooth. He's fluid. He's got a gliding feel to his running. There's a sense of pace and tempo to him as if he has an innate feel for both his blocking schemes and for the defensive flow. Because one thing people have to remember, you know, everybody talks on defense about gaps, but offensive backs, running backs, have to understand gaps, what they are before the snap, they change after the snap. I think Hall has a very good feel for gap fluidity, and he rarely ever looked hurried. He ran with a rhythmic feel that at times almost made it appeal, appear that it was choreographed. And the, another key fact to his game he can catch the ball well, and I think that he can be a three-down back in the NFL with his soft hands, run after catch. I think you can see him running a more multiple route tree in the NFL as well. You can see him running angle routes, wheel routes, even what we call H-seam, where he's offset in the backfield and runs a seam route. So to me, Brees Hall is the top back in this class. First round pick? And if in the first round, well, how high? What do you yeah, think? Well, I mean, where, where would you kind of put him, generally speaking, on a board? Um, I mean, I think if you're making a draft board and I haven't seen every player, so, you know, that's hard for me to answer. Um, I, I think he'd probably be a top 32 player in this draft, whether that means yep. that he gets drafted in the first round. Uh, that's that larger discussion that we just had about the value of backs. And that becomes team specific, scheme specific, 
how you see him in the context of all of those things. So uh, is he one of the 32 best players? I would argue yes. That by no means suggests that he will be a first-round draft choice. Yeah, it just shows how the game has evolved and how the position has evolved, right? Because this isn't even thought to be a quarterback-rich, quarterback-deep draft, which would normally allow the other positions to bump up in value. And yet the top-rated running back potentially in this draft a question mark as to whether or not he's going to go in the first round and even how high in the second round. So how about Michigan State's uh, Kenny, Kenneth Walker? I mean, he, he was a guy yeah. that kind of burst onto the scene late in the year, not someone that was in the Heisman conversation to start off the season, but was, <laughs> that was very much in the Heisman conversation at the end of the season. A really fun guy to watch. I don't know if you saw him much this year. Um, he's compact. He's low to the ground. He's got piston-like feet that seemingly never stop moving. He's got outstanding lateral quickness and suddenness. He makes sharp, decisive cuts. He's got really good contact balance. Um, He's very competitive. He's tenacious as a runner. He will lower his pads and he will attack defenders and he will finish runs with anger. And there's a run to daylight feel to the to the way he he runs. I mean, it's almost as if he's a bit of a jazz musician, Bob. He's looking for space. He's looking for that next notes, as it were. You know, he certainly can stay on track, but he definitely is looking to find daylight. He's got a free-flowing sense of, of running. Um, he's very improvisational. He can work off script. Um, the big question with him, and again, it comes back to the same point about the value of backs, is what can he give you in the passing game? And I think right now that's an open question. The tape does not suggest that he can be a a factor at, at as a receiver at the next level. Maybe he can. That's what pro days are for. That's what individual workouts are for. But the tape doesn't show that. Another guy that is probably more of what is now becoming the prototypical NFL running back, Isaiah Spiller from Texas A&M, right? Smaller guy, but certainly can catch, and that system had to catch the ball. So what do you think about Spiller? Yeah, Spiller's actually a a almost in some ways a little old school because he is big and he's powerful, um, and he runs really hard inside. Um, he's got... If you're thinking old school, I mean, you had talked earlier about backs, you know, 20, 30 years ago, like the George Rogers types, George Rogers being a first round draft choice. What I think 1980, give or take coming out of South Carolina. I mean, Spiller is in some ways like that. He's six feet. He's 217 pounds. He has a feature foundation volume back traits profile. He's got the size. He's got a compact build. He's got patience. He's got vision. He's got short area burst. He has enough lateral quickness and he works really effectively in confined space, which is absolutely critical in the NFL. He's got natural power. He's got contact balance. He's physical. He can finish runs. He's an attitude runner. He's that that foundation type back that you feel good if you want to start your offense this way, giving him the ball, you know, 17 to 22 times a game. So it returns to our basic question. How many teams want to play offense that way in today's NFL? Because Isaiah Spiller can fill that role. James Cook from Georgia, obviously. Ah. It's in the gene pool, right? I mean, you know, when if, if you grow up eating at the same table as Dalvin, then obviously there's something about whatever they were feeding those guys that turned them into NFL running backs. So uh, how about James Cook? James Cook, to me, is in some ways what the NFL has become. 
you know, people listening to this, I don't want them to fall off their, their seat if they're sitting down because I'm going to compare him to someone. He's not quite the same level of player, and he's much smaller, but he can be used the same way in the NFL, and that's Alvin Kamara. I mean, Kamara's a much bigger man, and he's kind of evolved into a little bit of a feature back, but in many ways, James Cook brings a similar running-receiving profile to an offense. Just ask Nick Saban. Cook lined up, split out against Alabama in in these past years and made big plays, caught a long touchdown, split out two years ago. He is a really, really good receiver. And you can use him offset in the backfield as a receiver. You can detach him from the formation. Um, He lacks the size to be a volume runner, but he possesses almost all of the skills to be a really productive runner. In fact, he runs very much like his older brother, Dalvin Cook. He looks the same. He's just a smaller man. But I think James Cook is one of those players that it would not surprise me to see him jump some other backs who we might think have better overall traits because they're bigger. But he fits today's NFL if you're looking for that back that can both run the ball as an eye back, but also be a receiver split from the formation, which more and more teams do now in the NFL. Tyler Algier from BYU. What do you think about him? Yeah, he's he's a really interesting back to me. I think he's more of the quote-unquote feature back type, and I'm very curious to see if teams see him that way because he does have a lot of really good traits, and he's the kind of guy that grew on me the more I watched him. He's 224 pounds. Um, He's got a subtle, nuanced feel for the zone run game. He predominantly ran the zone run game at BYU. He's patient. He's disciplined. He's efficient. He's got good vision. Um, He's got an intuitive feel for the pace and tempo of runs. He stays on his path. He he presses the hole. He leverages defenders. He's a really good back. Um, He kind of reminded me of two backs that I that I watched, and neither one. Well, one of them did have a feature back success early in his career. Jordan Howard. I kind of thought of Jordan Howard watching Tyler Algier. And the other back that came to mind was Alexander Madison, who's the backup to Dalvin Cook. And he came out of Boise State, and the Vikings drafted him in the third round. And I I kind of see Algier that way. I don't believe he'll end up being a feature back in the league, but he will play in the league for sure. And one other guy to talk about in this segment, Arizona State's Rashad White. Ah, so he's another guy that I think if he becomes an excellent NFL player because he has really good receiving traits. And he's big, too. He's over six feet. He's 214 pounds. Um, he needs work in pass protection, but he's an excellent receiver, Bob. And he's a, he's a good runner as well. But I think his receiving ability will separate him. He's got the versatility to detach from the formation. He has excellent hands. He can be featured on multiple route concepts, including intermediate and vertical routes. And that's really important. So White, to me, could be another one of those backs that moves up in the draft because of the receiving element to his game. He's really good at it. And Uh, You know, he's got wide receiver traits in many ways. So Cook and White, James Cook and Rashad White, are the two guys of the ones we've mentioned up to this point that are really strong receivers. And I think that that could really impact where they get drafted. Yeah, in today's NFL, the ability for a running back to catch the ball has never been more important. And you see that in how teams 
put their offenses together. Want you to send us your thoughts on these players. Uh, A lot of information in a short period of time. If you think Greg's done with the running backs, think again. He's just getting started. We're going to keep it coming with another group of running back prospects. See what the tape says. And then we'll take kind of before we say goodbye for this episode, a wide angle look at how deep and talented this class is. And if your team is a running back needy team, where you might find value. All of that is coming up on Tapehead's draft season. Back on this running backs edition of Tapehead's draft season. Bob Schusen, Greg Cosell, running through a lot of the top running back prospects and the guys that Greg thinks might be the most interesting fit for NFL teams. And, you know, there's an Alabama transfer that played at Cincinnati. I had their games a couple of times this year. And their offense looked, because there was times where he was banged up. And as good as the quarterback was, as good as their receivers were, their offense just looked different when Jerome Ford was healthy and on the field. Greg, what what do you think about Jerome Ford from Cincinnati? Yeah, he's a player that, to be honest with you, I knew he was an Alabama transfer, but I didn't know much about him. The year prior, in 2020, he was not really a feature back for them. Uh, so he was somewhat virgin territory for me, Bob, and I really liked his tape. Um, I think he's got a really good mix of size and and traits. I mean, he's compactly built. He's got a sturdy frame. Um, he's got natural quickness and burst. He's got natural power. He's got a really strong lower half. He can run through contact. He can finish runs. I thought he's a very disciplined runner, doesn't waste any motion, and he can take it to the house. I mean, he can reaccelerate. He can get to the second level cleanly. Um, he's got very tight footwork, very compact in the way he runs. And, you know, we see that uh, while he was not featured in their passing game, I think that's there. He did make some catches on wheel routes, really good sign. But this kid has explosive vertical ability, um, plays fast, and is physical. I really like Jerome Ford transitioning to the NFL. Let's go to Alabama then. I mean, that was where Jerome Ford once was, but that's where Brian Robinson most recently was. So how about Brian Robinson? Yeah, he got his chance this year. And I actually watched all his runs from 2020 as well, and a good number from 2021. Um, he's an urgent, determined, physical, competitive downhill runner. He runs with velocity. He runs with power. He gains hard yards. But there's also kind of a looseness to his running. His feet are kind of light and active. You wouldn't say he's purely shifty and elusive. Maybe he's a little straight line-ish. But there were runs in which he did feature lateral quickness and agility. He has sort of that stop and start and reacceleration ability. Um, I came away from his tape this year seeing a kind of a looser-hipped runner with more efficient change of direction, a more fluid feel. I kind of like him as an NFL back. He has feature back size and traits. He's 225 pounds. He doesn't really look it when you watch him, but he's almost 6'2", 225, Bob, and that's really, really good size. All right, Kyron Williams, Notre Dame. How about him? Yeah, Kyron Williams is a guy that, there's really only, in my view, two ways to see him. He's got good traits. He's a very refined runner. He's a professional runner. He's patient yet decisive. Um, he knows how to run. 
He's not explosive. He doesn't have a lot of juice. So to me, Kyron Williams, uh, because he's an excellent receiver and he ran multiple route concepts and he was split from the formation, I could see him in two ways. He could go to a team where the running back does not carry a ton and be a quote-unquote number one back in the way that Austin Eckler is a number one back for the Chargers. He's not going to carry 250, 270 times. Or... I could see him as a James White type back, the way James White is used with the New England Patriots, where he's used primarily as a receiver, once in a while carrying the ball. Um, Don't forget James White, when he was in college, was a 1,000-yard rusher at Wisconsin. So White then made that transition in the NFL to a back because he's a really good receiver and a really good blocker. I think Kyron Williams probably falls more into that category. Damian Pierce from Florida. He's an interesting player. Yeah, because Damian Pierce, he's a professional runner when it comes to approach and execution. I mean, I don't think, despite weighing 218 pounds, my guess is he'll be seen more as a committee back or a number two back. He doesn't have a ton of lateral agility and quickness, and he doesn't have a ton of burst. But he's compact. He's low to the ground. He's a very measured, methodical, disciplined runner. He's got what we call sustaining traits. He's got an innate understanding of defensive fronts. I mentioned earlier gap fluidity has a great feel for that. He also has a natural feel for the demanded pace and tempo of specific runs. He's got great play strength and contact balance. I mean, this kid fought through tackles, and he did not go down easy. He got hard yards. Those are two traits that are always in demand in the NFL. Um, He's an attitude runner, and every coach and every team likes attitude runners. Um, There's much more to get from Pierce as a receiver as well, and that will enhance his value as you project and transition him to the league. He's super intriguing to me, Bob, because just stylistically, the way he runs, he could be seen as a guy that could get 170 to 200 carries. It would not surprise me if some teams see him that way. All right, we, we've touched on a lot of guys. We, even back in the previous segment, said Brees Hall's probably the best overall prospect in this class, and yet you don't think that he is a slam-dunk first-rounder, no. which speaks also to how the NFL has changed the value that is put on running backs, but just kind of wide-angle lens, this class as a whole. If my team needs a running back, how talented and deep do you think this class is as a whole? Am I going to get a good player on my team if I take one of these guys even as high as the second round? Absolutely. I think it's a pretty deep class. I think it just speaks to what we've been saying, that teams don't see the running back position as needing to allocate major capital, either draft capital or even, you know, trade capital or free agent capital. But I think there's a lot of good running backs in this draft. A lot of running backs will be talking about. And again, it comes back to our initial premise. What is the value of the running back in today's NFL? Can do teams feel that, hey, if they're not going to be a run first team, So they look at Damian Pierce, who may well be available in the third round. And I don't know. That's one thing I'm not good at, Bob, and I'll be the first to admit it. I'm not good (laughs) at knowing where guys are going to get drafted. Um, But, you know, can they look at someone like Damian Pierce and say, hey, we can get this guy in, you know, the third round and we'll be fine. I mean, look at New England. The New England Patriots this year were a run first football team. Okay, who are their backs? 
Damian Harris, a third-round pick out of Alabama a few years ago, and Ramondre Stevenson, I believe a fourth-round pick out of Oklahoma this year. So there's a template in place for a lot of teams in the league where they want to run the ball like New England did with a rookie quarterback, and they ran it really effectively. I think they were in the top 10 in the league in both attempts and yards, and yet they did not have a first or second round pick as one of their backs. So there's a lot of we, templates in place. We've mentioned the 49ers. You know, last year, everybody mentioned Jacksonville with James Robinson gaining a thousand yards as, if I'm not mistaken, was a free agent. Um, so there's a, there's profiles in place of teams that have not drafted backs high and yet have still managed to have quality, consistent run games on a week to week basis. Then, with that being said, if you were running an NFL draft room, right? If you were yeah. a general manager and you, it was your job to make these decisions, would you have, I don't want to say a blanket rule, but at the very least, like a general policy for your scouts? Guys, we're not drafting a running back before the third round. It just doesn't make sense. If you think there is a transformational guy out there that maybe folks are undervaluing, that is worthy of a second-round pick, bring him to me, and we'll certainly talk it over. I'm going to be as open-minded as any about, I mean, you know, you don't close the door to anything, but just as a general rule, I don't want to talk running back until the third or fourth round. Is it even necessary? Or is there a guy maybe in this class that might violate that principle that you think is worthy of a second-round pick or a high third-round pick, where maybe teams just generally speaking as a principle are like, look, we can get running backs later in the draft, free agency. There's a variety of ways to get a guy to play that position without having to spend high-end draft capital to get him. Well, then I think what you need to do, and and I say this honestly, and, and this is what teams do, you need to evaluate why good running teams are good running teams. Are they good running teams because they have a back? In other words, could anybody do what Derrick Henry does? I think the argument would probably be in that case, no. Wouldn't you say that Derrick Henry is probably a different cat than most? Um, could anybody run for the 49ers? The argument would be seemingly yes. You could put a lot of backs back there. Why is that the case? You would have to do a deep dive into the structure and concepts and approach of that offense to figure that out. Because, you know, look, a lot of teams run the same concepts, Bob. There's not a thousand run game concepts, as you know. It's how you get to the run game, how you teach it, how you coach it, how you deploy it. So a team like the Niners, if you feel that running backs, if, if you decide as a general rule, well, I'm not taking a running back in the first two rounds, but yet you know at some point you're going to have to run the ball because every team has to run the ball somewhere along the line, then you better have a way of running the ball. So you have to know how you can do that effectively. It, does it become a function of O-line? Does it become a function of scheme? Does it become a function of back? You have to have an answer for that before you do just what you said, before you decide that either we are or we're not looking at a running back as a higher-level draft choice. See, we hope people get, if nothing else, out of this podcast, the realization that that is the conversation that's going on in a draft room. That's the conversation 
that a general manager is having with a scouting department. Not, hey, guys, as if it's fantasy football, let's right, rank right. 300 players and just pick them off of a list. Right, right Like right. there is a total philosophical conversation happening behind closed doors about how do we want to put our team together? What kind of a team do we have? What is our offensive system? What are our quarterback strengths? What kind of an offensive line do we have? How does a running back fit into all of that? Correct. And how much money do we have to spend? Correct. Right? Like, can we go out and spend money on the free agent market and get one as opposed to having to draft one? You know, it, this uh, people see the mock drafts and they see, you know, Brees Hall's name up there and your team might need a quarterback with the, what, a 34th pick and they don't take them. And people kind of throw their arms up like, oh, my God, we passed on such a talented player. Well, wait a minute. You know, that's not the conversation that's happening no. behind closed doors with your team. They're not just sitting there going, Brees Hall is good. People think he's the 34th best player. We've got the 34th pick. Let's take him, right? It's a much deeper philosophical conversation happening with all positions, not just running back right. when you're going to draft a player, right? No, you're exactly right. And, and these are the conversations that are had and they have to be had because – Ultimately, I, I, I come back to, to the point that I've, I've made a few times. Every team has to run the ball somewhere along the line. That's a given. The question is how, when. Look, bottom line, every team would like a, a higher rated runner than a lesser rated runner. That's why you draft. That's why teams do boards, Bob, is if Brees Hall's rated higher than, let's say, Snoop Connor from Ole Miss, we didn't talk about him, but he's going to be rated higher on people's draft boards. So would you rather have Brees Hall? Yes, but you're not looking at those two players in a vacuum. Right. Yep. And it is a fascinating you know, way, I think, hopefully for people to understand how the draft boards are actually put together by the guys that make the picks. It's totally different than maybe what you're reading you know, on websites or mock drafts um, when teams, you know, kind of or when when, you know, the, the mock draft guys come up with their own boards and coming up on Thursday, we've got a coach who has spent over 20 years at the NFL and college level evaluating teams and players. Rich Scangarello, the current offensive coordinator for Kentucky, will tell us what to look for and how things have changed jumping from college football to the NFL, particularly for quarterbacks because obviously that's the world he lives in he was the quarterbacks coach for the 49ers now the offensive coordinator for kentucky he's got a pretty good one with the wildcats we will touch on that with rich coming up on thursday as well hope to have you again on thursday when our next episode drops thank you for being a part of tapeheads draft season